Thank you so much, Peter and Jill. Uh, so, I'm Andy, one of the elders here at this lovely family that we call Christ First Watford. Um, we're starting a little early today uh, in terms of getting straight into the preach because um, there's going to be uh, reading sort of two-thirds of the way through um, of a big piece of scripture. Um, and so, hopefully, you're looking forward to that. Um, so, today I'm going to be speaking on uh, this, uh, the Lord's Prayer, and uh, well, I just want to make a point here. Um, Liz Hollop is part of a grand deception. Um, look at her there, looking all nice and innocent and smiley. Um, soon you're going to find out why. Uh, two weeks ago, she misled you. It's just Look, look, you wouldn't think butter would melt in her mouth, would you? Look at her there, all innocent, all smiley. I will, by the way, be clearing Liz's name very shortly. Um, look, today's message is pretty uh, dense in terms of the, the scripture we're going to get into. Um, I've wrestled like with it in a, in a good way, like, what, what are you saying in this particular big piece of scripture, Father? What do you want me to say in such a short space of time? I Hopefully, what God has led me to is going to bless you and it's going to challenge you. I shouldn't have to say this on a Sunday, but it's almost like, stay with me, pay attention. There's a lot to get through. Um, that should be true of every Sunday. And I think in this series, you may have noticed, we've overrun nearly every Sunday because for whatever reason, and I don't think anyone's complained yet, maybe you have, but most people seem to be saying, it is what it is. We've been preaching for like extended periods of time as we just wrestle with prayer and try and almost like reset the, the culture of this church to be a praying church. We've always prayed, but we are becoming a praying church. And I'm so encouraged, and I'm also so, I'll use the word concerned if I can, that we don't think that when we get to Easter, when we kind of finish the season of prayer, whew, well, that was, that, was, that was interesting. Now let's just go back to sporadic and occasional. I think we've got, and, and those two things this morning, seeing Mika's sort of healing start to happen and hearing about Tommy should remind us persistency in prayer is so critical to the life of the church. You will hear the term um, uh, intercessor, advocate, as even mentioned in the prayer before, mediator uh, in Scripture. And I'm sure when you hear those terms, um, you picture, as I do often, like a legal situation. Um, so uh, like a media or an advocate or a mediator is someone who pleads your case during a dispute. Um, advocate sort of says represents us. Um, or the term, you know, mediator is like a dispute settling, a separation has happened. People of a different are separated by something, and a mediator draws people together. Um, we can understand those principles in terms, but, but they're all attrib attributed to Christ as well. In many scriptures, various scriptures, and at various times throughout the Bible, even before Jesus arrives, there's mentions of the need for a mediator. And then we'll read in other scriptures about Jesus' role on earth and Jesus' role as he moves into heaven. And this term gets used many times. But I want to speak first of all about while Jesus is with us on earth. Because we have evidenced in Scripture um, his heart and that he did, in fact, advocate. Um, he did intercede. He did um, speak to God about, for example, his disciple Peter. Um, now, Peter's name was also Simon before he met Jesus, and then he'd be called Simon Peter, and occasionally Jesus would call him Simon, and there's probably quite a lot of significance in that. But the name Peter was given to him, which means, which means rock, um, 
So, as I said before, the guy praying earlier was Rock Wiles. I love that uh, name for him, because uh, uh, his name is Peter. Yeah, that, that word means rock. But, but frankly, that naming in, in the context of what I'm about to speak to about is a bit, it's a bit premature, because he's yet to become the rock that Jesus sees um, he, about him about, about to become, as it were. Sorry. And so if you know the story of Peter... Um, You'll know that the night before Jesus is to be crucified, there's the, we've got the Last Supper happening, and, and leading up to that is um, Jesus' is teaching. Um, there's a lot going on. Jesus is informing, and he's giving his disciples, like he's preparing them. But actually, if you read the scriptures that come up before the Last Supper, or during the Last Supper, that time, there's a lot of stuff coming, and it's going to be very tough for you guys. Uh, but the story of Peter is that the, the disciples are arguing, like, who's the greater among you? And there's that discussing, and Peter's pushing himself forward. And Jesus brings Peter down with a, with a royal bump. And he lectures on what it means to be great. Um, and then he rounds on Peter. He kind of turns to Peter. And he highlights the struggles that Peter's going to face on earth. The pressure. And, and, and the... The, the, the desire to deny Christ, the pressure to reject Jesus. And I, I want to bring that, that right to right now. In our culture today, in my life, there is pressure to deny Jesus. There is pressure to dumb down the risen Savior. There's pressure to water down what it means to follow Jesus. So it's palatable. That's the best it can be. Often there's pressure to, to just stop us speaking at all. To reduce God down from God to pal. From Jesus, from Emmanuel with us to my mate, Jesus, who helps me in difficult moments. Our faith seems to be in constant opposition and challenge on a daily basis. And Peter represents in the story, for me at least, and what I felt being spoken to me as I went through it, much of what we face as individuals and as a church today. Ridicule for what we believe and pressure to reject it. So you know the story of Peter. He's going to, soon going to deny Jesus three times, even to a little girl, because he feels the pressure of the evil one in his life to walk away and deny Christ. And so we read this. Jesus sees this, and there's this stunning moment in Scripture where he says this. Simon, Simon. Well, the significance of practice called him Simon again instead of Peter. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you. But I have prayed for you, that your faith may not fail, and when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. This on the surface seems like, okay, that's pretty straightforward. But there's such significance in it. Jesus says, I've prayed for you. The Son of God sees what Peter's about to do and advocates for him with the Father. And advocates for him in a way that says, Basically, so when this is over, you're going to be strengthened again and when you are, lead the brothers. Like that confidence in his prayer, I'll pray to the Father for you and you're going to be strong in the future. We don't know the prayer itself. We don't know what Jesus actually said at that moment and it would be sacrilegious for me to put words in Jesus' mouth. So this is conjecture, as they say. This is, this is conjecture. Um, 
there's a particular preacher, Mark, Mark, uh, Matt Chandler, who says, here's the word of God, here's conjecture. I'm over here right now, I'll get back on camera. But the point is, I, I want to make sure that you don't think I'm reading scripture right now, but I was praying through just what, what would Jesus be praying right now? As he's praying for Peter, he's still with us on earth. Peter is about to go through difficulty. He's been speaking to the disciples about what's ahead of them and the struggles they'll face. And I think he would have said something like, Father, I want to bring Peter to you. He's under pressure. The world is pressing in on him and the evil one is going to tempt him. Please, Father, keep him from the evil one. Strengthen him in in this trial. Until we are all in glory together, this life is going to be like this. So I can't ask you to take Peter out of this world, but strengthen him, get him through this time for your glory. Your will be done. Like I said, that's conjecture on my part. I'm not saying that's something Jesus prayed, but, but I think I'm on fairly safe-ish ground, not because I'm, I'm guessing, but because there's a gift in Scripture, and we're going to look at that gift um, in a little while. I'm building up to it, so <laughs> hold on with me here. Because it's not just another piece of scripture. It's, it's a standout, standalone one. And Gareth's going to read soon, and I, I want to take a little while up front, uh, all of John 17, which is Jesus' high priestly prayer. So, this is why I accuse Liz of, of deception. I don't know if she's online today. Liz, forgive me for using you. Uh, Liz, you did an amazing job preaching us through what is called the Lord's Prayer. You know, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. But that's not actually the Lord's Prayer. That's a title that I, I don't know when it got brought into, perhaps when they were publishing or, or putting chapter headings in, because it's a prayer that Jesus did not pray himself. Jesus is actually teaching what we probably should better call the disciples' prayer, the followers' prayer. Because Jesus himself never praised the Lord's Prayer, because he couldn't. Forgive us our sins. Jesus did not sin. This is not his prayer. This is a prayer that he gave to us to help us. And I, I want to repeat what, uh, what Liz did. John 17 is, for me at least, the Lord's Prayer. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the, the um, martyred German pastor who stood against the Nazis, described John 17 as a thunderbolt from heaven to John Knox, the amazing Scottish reformer from the 1500s. I know these people are looking like that's a beard and a half. Yeah, that's a pretty old picture. But, but some of these people in history just put things so well, we have to read them. But remember, they apply to today. But, but he was a hero of our faith. And um, he read John 17 over and over again during his life. But when he was on his deathbed... Uh, John Knox's wife asked him, you know, where do you want me to read? And he replied with that quote, read where I first put my anchor down in the 17th chapter of John. Matthew Henry, another amazing hair uh, to see here, but a man whose writing influenced George Whitfield and Charles Spurgeon, if you've been around the Christian world, or, or maybe not even the Christian world for Whitfield at least, but you would have heard of people like him and Spurgeon, titans of our faith. Spurgeon, this amazing power preacher like there's never been since, I'm not, I don't think. Uh, but, but Matthew Henry wrote what is my favorite quote around this. It is the most remarkable prayer 
following the most full and consoling discourse, like spoken communication, ever uttered on earth. So John 17, Matthew Henry says, is the most remarkable prayer followed by the most full and consoling discourse ever uttered on earth. So John 17 is is a dense scripture. It's hard to absorb in one go. If we were going to do a Bible study on this or we were going to do a preaching series, this one would take many weeks, if not months, to go through. So I'm going to do my best in a short space of time to just bring out key things um, about this prayer. So let me just spend a little time signposting it. And Gareth is going to read it to us in full. Then I'm going to pick out some themes of how they relate to us, how they relate to that prayer for Peter, and how we should pray off the back of it. Uh, finally, I'm going to try in a short period of time to bring it right down to being prayed for today. Like here at, what is it, 1137 in Watford. What about right now, today? This is daunting, but I'm going to do my best. I'm sure God is in it. So, what does it mean, Jesus' high priestly prayer? So to understand this, we have to take a quick journey back to the series in Exodus. And in fact, I did a preach, a couple of them on on the tabernacle. So you're welcome to look for those. Maybe we'll get Lorraine to post the links up after today on Facebook. But this is where we first hear about high priests and where the tabernacle uh, is and there was the Ark of the Covenant. You can see it there at the back. It's just underneath the, the green arrow I've put in there. So there was the, the tabernacle, at the, um, and at the back of that is the Ark of the Covenant, a, what, a room called the Holy of Holies, where the presence of God would come and dwell. And that, that, the heavy curtain that I pointed to on that picture there, is, um, it's, it's a cross-section, so that curtain goes all the way across. This is just a cross-section. That heavy curtain referred to as the veil, um, and in the, inside, the other side of the veil is where they would intercede for the forgiveness of sins for all God's people, marked with a blood sacrifice. The high priest back then could go through the veil once a year on the Day of Atonement. And he would wear a robe with bells on the bottom of it and have a rope tied around his foot. The reason the bells were there is to hear if he was still moving as he would approach the presence of God. If this high priest had sin in his life of significance, now he wasn't sinless and perfect, but he had to leave a, lead a pure life to spend a brief amount of time as God would allow in the presence of a holy God. As this, this high priest would go in, if he, um, if he died, they would hear the bell stop and they would drag him out by his foot. They couldn't go in and get him. They weren't allowed to go behind the curtain, so they had to drag the dead uh, or best passed out priest drag him by his foot back out again and go right better get another one for next year Jesus was without sin and the son of God no such restriction applies to him and the next day in the story of Jesus's life as we we think about this story of John 17 he's going to become the sin offering for everyone who will believe. So he will become our great high priest. Not just a high priest, our great high priest. If ever a word was insufficient, great is it in this context. From a high priest to a great high 
priest. What used to be only possible once a year for one person to do briefly, we can now do at any time for as long as we like because of what Jesus is going to do. And I'll come back to that later because I'm actually getting ahead of myself because I want to not talk about Jesus' role ahead. I want to talk about what he's doing in the story of John 17 right now because he's still on earth. This is the night before his death. Christ is troubled for his disciples and us who believe in him. If I can indulge you for just one more minute, um, hopefully you're impatient to hear the scripture, but just give me one or two more minutes because I want to transfer something that came to mind as I was prepping. It's a personal thing. I've been working on a project for four weeks, um, which is probably the biggest project I've ever been given in my career. I was given a senior team and given four weeks to turn around a significant piece of work that had not been done after years of trying. They said, you've got four weeks, see if you can pull it off. Um, we did. Okay, that's, but that's not the celebration. We reported out Friday, went very, very well. But that's not what I want to celebrate. That's not the point. As we handed over the work, knowing how significant it would be to the future of a massive multinational company, um, the very last slide we put up was, these are our concerns going forward. These are the things that once we finish this work, there is things that this is going to impact, and we have to get ready for all the implications of this. That's almost more important than, than this report out for us. But the point was we were saying, look, the work is done, but there's a lot more that's going to happen after we kind of move into the next part of it. And it needs your attention. It needs your close attention because it's going to impact people. If I may be so bold and so cheeky, Jesus is doing this on a cosmic scale as he approaches the cross. And what John 17 is, is, God, is him praying to God about, look after them, Father. The, t- the work is done. My earthly mission, I've fulfilled it. I'm about to come home, but they're still here. That, that humbles me, crushes me, drops me to my knees, that, that the Son of God, the night before his own death, says, Father, the hour has come and is now here. The work is done what you sent me to here, I've faithfully done, and I'm going to, tomorrow, that, that's it, that's the moment on the cross where I pay for it with my life, but Father, I'm worried, I'm concerned about these people you've given me, and we are the people he's given. It's not just the disciples, we are the people he has given. So he's going to pray for the disciples. He's going to pray for himself. He's going to, he's going to say to God, listen, this is my, I'm sorry if this vernacular doesn't, doesn't give enough glory to God or is somewhat reverent. It's like, I've completed the mission. I've finished the work. I've done. This is my handover moment. I'm, I'm getting ready to move on. I'm handing over my report, as it were. So he speaks to God. Look, I've done it. We've done it. We've done it. We've, what you've set out as a mission is complete. Now I want to pray for the disciples in my care. So you'll hear echoes of the prayer for Peter that I just sort of made up, you know, or tried to reference, you know, that sort of praying for Peter. You'll hear that inside John 17. And then he's going to pray for all of us because we're going to face what Peter faced. And the disciples, will, they face the pressure, the rejection by the world. The enemy pressing in, trying to tear our faith away from us, causing us to doubt. He prays that for the disciples, and then he turns and prays for us. This is Jesus' only like lengthy, fully recorded prayer, and it's beautiful. 
the night before he offers up his life, he's interceding for us. So Gareth is going to read it to you in a, in a few seconds. It's likely to be too much to take in, but I pray the word ministers to you and Jesus' heart comes through. Please take one thing from it. Jesus is advocating for us to God, but God and he are one. He's not strong-arming God. He's not trying to cajole or convince God to do something God doesn't want to do. He's advocating and interceding to a God who sort of turns around and says, yes, 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 of course. This is the most consoling discourse ever uttered on the earth. And the father says, yes, of course, my son. Yes, of course. Gareth, you okay to read? Thank you. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh, to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence, with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for, this, for their sake, I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also, ask, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me, the glory that you, gave, that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them, and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, 
so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know you, know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Wonderful. Thank you, Gareth. I'm just going to actually wait a moment and just let that, let that rest with us. So I'm actually going to give us a minute of just silent reflection. Hopefully I've led you into that um, amazing scripture, the most consoling discourse ever uttered on the earth as Matthew Henry said let's let let the spirit do a work and then I'm going to carry us on I don't know about you, you know, I, I read my Bible a fair bit. I mean, I've been a Christian since I was my early 20s, and I can read things that just not, not really grip what's going on. I think hopefully just hearing what God laid on my heart to prepare us for that, and then, then, then hearing it read out. Realization that Jesus is worried and concerned about us, knowing full well he's going to leave, and we're left here and this life is tough it's full of struggle and he's not like I said strong arm in the father he's just advocating he's saying father can I talk to you let's have a talk about these people and the father is like yes son let's talk and then it's a yes and amen Peter is restored um, in the example I shared he's restored he does become the strong leader of brothers he in Acts, and there's a link there to the Holy Spirit I'll make soon, preaches powerfully and thousands get saved. It's hard to know quite where to go at the moment with this. I think I've put the uh, clicker down somewhere. Oh, in my pocket, sorry. Live, live meetings, live worship, live preaching always brings some technical challenges. But hopefully this is just background noise to an amazing thing God wants to communicate. D.A. Carson, the founder of the Gospel Coalition, pointed out this prayer... Unlike the disciples' prayer, it's not linear. You can't really go line by line through it. Um, even though it goes through various sort of phases of praying, Jesus praying about the mission of himself, then he's praying you know, for the disciples, then he's praying for all of us. There is that to it, but actually it, it overlaps. It goes back in and out of the same things because he's praying for the disciples, and he's praying for us, and he's, he's advocating to the Father. And... Um, there's three points that I want to pick out from Carson's many points on this. Um, let me just see. Oh, there they are. Yeah. Um, one, Jesus asked the Father to protect the disciples and all of us who follow him. Protect us from the evil one. He has protected the disciples and the ones that were given to him on the earth, but he will leave the next day. And he's saying, Father, protect them. Protect them. 
it's, it's very much, you know, you can, you can think of it in the physical. If you were looking after your own family and you knew you had to leave, you'd be like, someone needs to look after them while I'm not here because there's so many things they're going to face. It's that, it's that prayer. He asked the Father to help us live in unity. So not just the unity that makes us enjoy this life together, and obviously you can think about that within the church, within families, within marriages, but unity speaks of Jesus. Jesus was a, the, the greatest unifier of all, and, and therefore he's praying unity will be attacked. There will be, division will be tried out on these people. Please, Father, let's make sure that we, we, we look after that. We do everything we can to stop the enemy bringing division because the enemy wants to divide us, cause us to have issues inside the church, inside our relationships, be at odds with one another. It's no witness when that happens. So it is a witness when it does happen that Jesus is in our lives and the Father is active. And then the, the third point is that Jesus asked the Father to sanctify his followers through the Word. That the Scripture, would, scriptures, the written Word of God would be power to us. It's important, that's why we read the whole verse, uh, whole chapter. Not that we could take it all in, but it's important that even parts of that are ministering to us. We need the Father's help by an act of the Spirit to make the word come alive in us. Psalm 1 says, Blessed be the man who delights in the law of the Lord. On his word he meditates day and night. We, he, we, becomes like streams of living water, yielding fruit in season we do not wither. Right? The, the word of God is power to us. It sanctifies us. It leads us in the right ways of God. It leads us into things of holiness. And when we live under the authority of the word, we yield fruit in season we don't wither. Here's my point. Here's the point. How's this going to happen when Jesus leaves? Jesus knows that he's about to leave. Because it's recorded three chapters earlier in John 14, 15 to 17. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. That's a reference into the law, huh? And I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper. I.e., you've got me now. But I'm going to ask the Father, and he's going to send another helper, advocate or intercessor, as it were, to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him or knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. The very last recorded thing that Jesus says on earth before the ascension, as recorded in Luke 24 49 is, I'm going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with the power from on high. Um, this is it. I'm going to go. The Father's going to send the Holy Spirit. This is why I struggle so much with cessationist thinking, and if you don't know what the term means, it's this idea that the Holy Spirit was just for the time of the disciples, and now it's all over. How would we continue with this going on if that were true. The Father is going to send a helper to help us in this life. It is the promised Holy Spirit. The best way I can say this, and it's so hard when you're trying to take in so much, is when Jesus dies on the cross, it's said that the, towel in the, the, the veil in the tabernacle, the one that separate, the, the literal one that separated us from the presence of God, which is now re rebuilt in the, what's called the temple, so there's a rebuilding of the tabernacle, that veil literally physically rips into from top to bottom it's ripped 
Matthew 27, 50 to 51 says, And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. This is Jesus' moment of his death. When he dies for the sins of the world, he then at that moment pays the ultimate sacrifice, the perfect sin offering. At that moment, the veil rips from top to bottom and the restriction that stopped us from entering in, i.e. sin, is done. And then we just can walk freely into the presence of God because there is no veil stopping us. That is just like amazing. That is the root of the gospel for us in that moment. But it doesn't stop there because salvation is not that moment. That is the beginning of a life of salvation. Jesus continues to intercede for us, continues to speak with the Father about us, continues to be concerned for us. But he sent a helper. We have access to the Holy of Holies, the very presence of God. The tabernacle is now open. Now we can pray to God, protect us, help us, keep us from the evil one. We can ask for him to help us to live in unity. We can ask him to sanctify us through the word. How do we pray now? We pray by the Holy Spirit, with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has become an advocate for us. The Holy Spirit has me- mediates between us and the Father as well. The, the triune unity of God is at work. The high priest has opened the veil. He's active. He's keeping the veil open. I don't want to make that, again, sound like Jesus is fighting every day to hold the veil open. But in some regards, if I want to be metaphorical for a minute, our, we let sin come in and try to close that curtain again. And Jesus said, it's not going to close. It's not going to close because I've torn it. You can try and put it back together you can, or you can allow it to try and come back together. But I'm too strong. I'm too powerful. I've ripped it in two. It cannot be rejoined. Many scriptures tell us that Jesus is interceding and advocating still. Romans 8.34 says, Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. That means you have to, you have to say, Jesus, I believe in you. Through you, I will draw close to God. You can't just randomly pray to God and have no belief in Jesus. It doesn't work. He's the sin offering that tears the veil and gives you access to God. And it says next, since, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Scripture mentions intercession, interceding. The words are made up of two Latin words. They are made up of the word inter. We know that word, okay? It's sort of interaction. It's things that are um, between. Interaction is probably the best word to take it from the Latin. Is between. So interstellar, between planets, interplay. Into Milan, don't know if that one works, but you know, inter is that betweening. And then another word which is which is cedere. Oh, I don't even know if I'm pronouncing that correctly, I'm sure Marion will tell me later. But it means to go. So you've got this idea of intercession. There is this go between. To go between. So essentially Jesus is a go-between. He intercedes on our behalf. Going between sinful people separated from God and the Holy Father. His high priestly role is to is to take away the chasm that separates us. To go between the veil that keeps us from God. That's a whole preach for another day, to be honest with you. But in Romans 8 26, it says we have another go between, active in our prayers and in our lives, the helper himself, the Holy Spirit. Look, get that up. Romans 8 26. It's down there at the bottom. We do not know what we ought to pray, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans so if you're worried sometimes i'm not quite pr- i know what i want to pray i've got it in my head but it's not coming out of my mouth i know this is a, a small part of what this means but it means 
Pray. Pray wordless groans. The Spirit knows and he will help you go between you and the Father. Don't worry if you're not an eloquent prayer. In fact, Jesus speaks against eloquent prayers who just waffle on and use too many words. He says, this is just, this is just fluff. At the heart of it is this. At the heart of it is this prayer. The Holy Spirit is critical and active in our prayer lives. So I do want to challenge us that perhaps if we're finding prayer hard, we're trying to keep going, but we're struggling, we do it for a moment, then it seems to drop off, we are shortly going to open up prayer rooms so you can be prayed for. I hope they're busy. I'd be in there myself if I could. I might ask my wife Jane to pray for me later. Not prayer that you might get better at praying, that the helper would help you in your prayer, intercede for you in your prayer, along with Jesus. So let's get ready to respond. Um, there are three ways I want to offer response today. That's why I so miss being together right now in physical form, but it's so good that we can do this. Thank you, God, for Zoom. <laughs> you know, the technology behind it, maybe not the company. But we can go into prayer rooms. I want, it, I want you to go into prayer rooms. I want you to listen to the three things I'm going to offer. Um, and then I'm going to, and th- at the end of it, please, sort of, you can use the chat function. If you can't use the chat function, you don't know how it works, just, you know, come off mute and say, say a number in a minute. Don't mind, but I don't want you to miss the chance to be prayed with or prayed for. We do have a good time of fellowship after the meeting where we stay online and we chat. Um, that's still going to go ahead. It may be that there will be a f- only a few people there for a, a little while. And then you can come back after the prayer and rejoin that conversation. Let's not let that distract us from what I feel God wants to lead us into. I'm pressuring you, but I don't really mind. <laughs> These are the things I felt God lead us for prayer. Don't respond until I finish, okay? Prayer for an infilling of the Holy Spirit, whether it be for the first time or to be filled afresh, the Holy Spirit would help you in your prayer life. To feel and know he's with you, to know that when I'm praying, the Holy Spirit is working with me and working through to the Father. Prayer for an infilling of the Holy Spirit, whether it's the first time or just a fresh infill. I'm sure there are people out there that need that. Then the other option is to pray for protection. Like to be, have the, the, those echoes of that prayer, Jesus prayed to the Father, prayed over you by another person is powerful so that's that's protection from attack that's when you feel you you know i feel the attack of the enemy in my mind in my physicality perhaps for unity where relationships have become broken with a brother a sister a spouse another person and purity through the holiness of the word is the word of god not does not have authority in your life those three big topics which is what i'm saying I, i think they'll be busy today i hope they are in the prayer room and the third option, if you've, this preacher's made you desire, you want to explore this. I don't really get this. I know I want, that sounds like what I want, but what I thought Christianity was about and who Jesus is, I don't, I don't really know if I really understand it. I want, or I want to just dive in deep into that. We want to give you the opportunity to speak to someone about getting to know Jesus. And this is no pressure thing. It's just, do you want to know him more? Do you want what's on offer? Let me just talk to you about that and let's see where that goes. Let me just pray very briefly, and then I'm going I'm to ask you to respond. So please, if you've responded already, just hang off for a second. Don't respond until I've prayed. Kind of appropriate in a prayer message. Holy Spirit, 
as is the will of the Father. I ask you in in boldness now to draw close to you. We're not shy, timid, fearful, but we're bold, we're humble, and we're honest. We need the helper more than ever in our lives and the lives of the church. This is a tough world. Personally and collectively, it's difficult. So let us ask for your help now because we need you so much. In Jesus' name.